0: Welcome to the preaching ministry of Port St. Lucie Bible Church. We are a Christian church whose goal is to faithfully preach Christ from Scripture so that we might better love and serve Him. We pray that this message from God's Word would engage your mind with the truth and inspire your heart to obey Christ. Here's today's message. Good to be with you all this morning as we uh, begin to open our Bibles to Acts chapter 4. I also want to make mention last week, I noted that there's going to be baptisms and uh, membership orientation. That will occur, it appears it will occur the last half of April. So if you're interested in that, let me know. And I'm going to try to accommodate it two Sundays uh, for the orientation for everyone who would like to come and uh, do the best we can there. Also, as you depart... Did it get mentioned that we have the report the annual report that'll be dispersed afterwards we encourage you member or non to go ahead and grab one for your family as well it'll it'll help you to review in last uh the last calendar year uh, some some great information Today we get to discuss one of my favorite topics giving away our money Yeah yeah no sarcasm intended. Uh, you know, Christians generally do want to give away more than we do, uh, and this passage is going to help us immensely with that today. Uh, you may find yourself by now, we're in Acts chapter four, uh, becoming you know immersed in this narrative. Uh, of the early church, and we're gaining a sense of what the Spirit is doing amongst them, uh, inviting the Spirit to also prompt us. uh Boy, pe- people were being changed. They were being changed, and through the study of this book, you and I are being changed as well. But before we proceed to the topic of money, I'd like to give just a brief recap of last Sunday. It's very important uh verses 29-31, through 31, in case you may have missed, or, or for anyone who may have been napping last week, uh, uh. as we discovered last Sunday, we can know with certainty what the will of God is for our lives. That knowing uh, the will of God for you and for me, uh, it's not a nebulous pursuit. It's not a mystery of any kind. God's will is recorded in Scripture. It's crystal clear. As Romans 12 verse 2 tells us, it is the will of God that we, quote, not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is. That which is good and acceptable and perfect. That Greek term there, prove, uh, it implies that Christians should be able to judge, uh, we should be able to demonstrate, we should be able to defend, we should be able to uh, provide evidence of what God's will is. It's because His will is on full display throughout His written word for us to see. Uh, finding God's will for your life is is quite straightforward. Uh, I know that very often you'll run into people who say, you know, I just want to know God's will for my life. And uh, what they're meaning usually by that is, you know, I just want him to tell me whether I'm supposed to be, you know, a doctor or a lawyer. Will he just tell me what I'm supposed to do? Really, what they're asking is uh, they want to see into the future. They don't want to walk by faith day by day. They just want God to give them a sign of what their future holds so then they can pursue it uh, rather than just walking by faith day by day. God isn't going to do that. No, the will of God, when we speak of the will of God for your life, it's very straightforward. Uh, God's will for you and for me, it is in His Word. Very clear in His Word. Our memory verse... For last Wednesday, our family night, uh, was Ephesians 6, verse 17. It tells us to take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. So take the sword of the Spirit, it's Word of God, and then pray at all times in the Spirit. So to... To pray in the Spirit is it's to wield the sword of the Spirit, which by scriptural definition uh, is God's Word itself. Uh, So for us to pray in the Spirit, it means we pray while uttering an intelligent comprehension of God's Word uh, in our minds. Pray intelligent things. Uh, Us affirming God's will from His Word is what it means to pray in the Spirit. And to do that, of course, we all have to be taught the Word of God. We must learn to understand uh, the Bible, to pray rightly, and that is when we can pray in harmony with God's will, uh, as our lesson revealed last week, praying in harmony with what God's will is. In Acts 4, verse 29, our previous passage, they were wielding the sword of the Spirit, and thereby praying in the spirit uh, that they would fulfill God's purposes. That that example there was speaking God's word with boldness. That is clearly God's will in his word. Praying in the spirit then is you know, reciting sensible conclusions about God from his word. It's with an aim. It's it's with an objective to fulfill what he's asked us to do in his word. As the Lord so wills, okay. Praying in the Spirit, consequently, is not incoherent and unintelligible mumbling that other people who are sitting around us cannot understand. So, so in summary, from last week, which taught us about being filled with the Spirit, this is very important that churches churches know what this means to be filled with the Spirit. Uh, to be filled with the Spirit as we discovered in verse 31, is when we bring ourselves into perfect alignment with what the Scriptures tell us about God. Being led by the Spirit, walking by the Spirit, praying in the Spirit, and filled with the Spirit are all phrases to describe us intelligently wielding the sword of the Spirit with an aim to act in harmony with God's Word, what the Word of God reveals. That is praying in the Spirit. It's essential, friends, that every true Christian come to reject any proposal that filled with the Spirit or praying in the Spirit indicates a a person uh, incomprehensibly uh, babbling in utterance. Who then afterwards says to the room that surrounds them, well, "Let me now tell you in English what God has said to you through me." No, no, what what abuse there can be in those types of things? Uh, any claim to speak for God in that way, to babble something in, in, unintellig- unintelligibly, and then turn to the room and say, "Now I'm going to tell you what I just said." Uh, that that is wicked, wicked, wicked. That is deception. Um, praying in the Spirit and filled with the Spirit. They are on full display for us in verses 24 through 31. Uh, they were praying in the Spirit. They were filled with the Spirit. They were wielding the sword of the Spirit. Um, but people are being deceived everywhere, my friends. Um, that miraculous gift of tongues, it was described for us in Acts chapter 2 as... Uh, Bonafide, legitimate human languages that people were speaking, though they had never, never studied the language before. Russian or Portuguese or some language uh, they had never before learned, while a visitor who was raised uh, with that native language was present to interpret. For everyone else. That, that is miraculous. And, uh, it always reveals, tongues in scripture always reveals a human language. And, uh, God himself places our understanding in that box. He does. If anybody says you can't put God in a box, our response is that God does not behave erratic or capricious or contrary to what he has revealed in his word. God gives us, uh, he provides us a set of guidelines. A set of instructions, boundaries to how he communicates with his people. Um, we have to keep everything within those boundaries. And if something arrives at our doorstep that says it's completely outside of those bond- boundaries, we have to stamp that return to sender. Because it does not, it does not conform to God's word. Very important there. Um, moving forward then the sword of the spirit, uh, we know it, it's God's word. It is his will. And, uh, everything that is within the will of God is good. Uh, everything in his word is good. It is sweeter than the honeycomb. It is, it is, uh, uh it's a delight. It can be easily discerned. The word of God, uh, Today in Acts chapter 4 and verse 32, the church has now embraced one of the highest priorities uh, in God's Word. It's Christian poverty relief. Christian poverty relief. Not just poverty in general, but compassion that is extended uh, to beloved, uh to God's beloved people, his saints, uh, meaning other Christians who have. Uh, like us, they've been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. They belong to God now. They are His His possession. Two crystal clear formulations of God's word will be on display for us over the next two Sundays. Uh, first, while well, using discernment, so be verses thirty-two through thirty-five, Christians show compassion. To other Christians. Uh, th- this is God's will. It's God's will. Next Sunday then, verses 36 and 37, Christians shall become, like Barnabas, encouragers. encouragers. Uh, these are both clearly stated in Scripture as the will of God. Don't, don't have to have any question about what God's will is for your life. Uh, these two will show us in the next two Sundays. Um, if you don't want these, These and other things like them, as we talked last week, then you don't want God's will for your life. And you just want something else uh, for your life in that case. As we look to read Acts chapter 4, and this will be beginning in verse 32, Christians will be reminded that our wealth isn't handed out indiscriminately. We give with aim, we give with purpose, we give with design. We employ biblical wisdom when we extend benevolence to others. And for example, if we are giving to an unbeliever, we always include the gospel. Always include the gospel when we give to an unbeliever. But the bulk of our benevolent giving, not all, not all, but a notable scriptural emphasis is to prioritize poverty relief toward Christians. We should be very excited to do this. Very excited to do this. I've titled today's message, Money Follows Ministry. Uh, I love this. I love this. Verse 32 of Acts chapter 4, And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, uh, and not one of them claimed that anything belonged to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Abundance grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of land and or houses would sell them and Bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as any had need. So, just as we saw described by our earlier Scripture reading, when a collection was taken, the distribution of poverty relief was directed toward impoverished saints. That that means Christians, to other Christians, um, some might ask, some might ask, like, you know, shouldn't these apostles, shouldn't they have, you know, taken the money and just distributed it amongst unbelievers? You know, maybe buy some votes for Jesus, make people feel warm about it. You know, if we give them a Walmart gift card, uh, you know, maybe that'll prime the pump. They got to prime the pump, get it going, so so that that maybe later at another time they might be open to the gospel. You wouldn't, you wouldn't, you, you wouldn't believe how much ministry gets done in that way. No, you you, you never see that approach by the Apostle Paul, or or by the apostles. People's hearts—we've studied this already in Acts. People's hearts are opened exclusively by the Word of God exclusively at the preaching of the word of God. The gospel is the power unto salvation. Uh, Always what prompts the heart by the Holy Spirit to be regenerated and believe. Uh, You could give a spiritually dead person a million dollars with a promise that they want to show up uh, at church next Sunday. And uh, just so you know, here's a million dollars, just so you know Jesus loves you and they'll still never show up in church. It's not in their heart. They don't belong to Christ. No, we, we give the unsaved people the gospel first. The gospel always prioritized. And sometimes you'll meet an unbeliever and, and you'll just feel compelled to show compassion on them. Right? Right? We've all done that. I've done it. You'll do it. Uh, we give a gospel tract with it, and you just see someone that just is really desperate, and your heart just reaches out to give them some relief. Yes, we are we are compassionate people, no doubt. We are to be known as compassionate people, uh, but also knowing that a gift card cannot change a person's heart. Uh, that is an error. It's a pretty severe error of free will theology that if we just be nice to people if we just be a little more polite it'll warm them to Jesus and and they'll just decide to be like us someday doesn't work that way it doesn't work that way the scriptural precedent is to share the good news with the unbeliever with the unbeliever first and of those who accept Christ they are baptized by the holy spirit spiritually into the body of Christ they become then our special object of affection, Christians with one another. Our special object of affection, uh, because we recognize that they are God's precious saints. Uh, he, God chose them, just like He chose us. They belong to Him, just just as we belong to Christ. And after the Spirit came on the day of Pentecost uh, among them. There was no longer a needy person among the saints of God, which fulfilled a promise that Jesus preached in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 6, do not worry then what we will eat or what we will drink or what we will wear for clothing, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you seek first god's kingdom uh, which in this age is manifest uh, in the church in the body of christ and jesus suggests you know sheep graze together they, they in my pasture he he's suggesting that you will see that my people take care of my people and at the final judgment in Matthew chapter 25, the, the Lord there is going to say to his beloved sheep, his beloved sheep, to, to whom he has shown his love, uh, even from the foundation of the world, he says, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison. He's in prison for preaching the gospel is what that means there. I was in prison. You weren't ashamed. You came to me. Folks, this is speaking of other sheep, other Christians. How do we know? Well, Jesus says, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even to the least of them, you did it to me. Jesus, at the final judgment, saying, you treated my body well. These brethren of mine, these brothers of mine. Uh, Christ's reward is the reason, uh, it's one reason as we think about it, Christ's eternal reward is one reason uh, the church doesn't practice indiscriminate giving. Just handing it out in the street corner, no matter who passes by. Aren't I a nice, a nice person, like Santa Claus or something? Uh, no. Also, we don't link arms with organizations, even even do-gooding organizations, that uh, don't permit us to preach the gospel. Sorry, we, we just don't have time. We've got work to do. We've got a limited amount of money uh, to share. We're not going to to link arms and give our money to an organization that that won't allow us to proclaim Christ or preach Christ. The church didn't prioritize giving to people who expressed no desire to know Christ uh, or to join, you know, the good shepherd's flock in the good shepherd's pasture. And as I said, we we haven't. I don't know. Maybe you don't. I, I we have a. I have a limited amount of resources. It's limited. There's only so much money that Christians have and for this reason they are prioritized to relieve the suffering of impoverished saints of God who dwell among us and who worship alongside of us in the pew each Sunday. Poverty relief supplies those Basic human essentials that Jesus promised that God our Father will provide. He says, "Don't worry, don't worry about what you'll eat or what you will wear." You know, do you think of that? At that statement that Jesus was just suggesting to the church, right, just wait for just wait for it to fall out of the sky. It'll just appear and fall out of the sky. Sometimes it seems that way when you're on a missions. But not literally. No, um, Jesus was rather um, suggesting that his Father, by his Spirit, would supply poor Christians with food and covering through other Christians. Through other Christians. This is God's will. This, This is God's will for us and for your life. James 2 and verse 15, speaking of Christians, referring to Christians, says, if a brother or sister, they're Christians, if a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body. What use is that? Likewise, 1 John 3 and verse 14, the Apostle John writes, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. The brethren. Um, And we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. The brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? For, Apostle John says in chapter 4, verse 20, the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen, he cannot love God who he has not seen. Prescribed giving is within the family of God. Given to those who don't have food, and covering what they need for the body. Um, Now we, again, I have to come back or someone's just going to be uptight. Of course we as Christians are going to help out uh, as a good Samaritan. When we run into someone who is in a crisis, uh, we are going to intervene to the best of our ability. Uh, uh, We are absolutely going to be a good testimony to the world about the love of Christ that uh, God has shown us and be a good testimony to Christ. Uh, but what we see on display in verses 32 through 35, it's Christian poverty relief. It's love for the brethren. Commanded by God. All over the New Testament you will find this. Love for the brethren. And it's to become our foremost priority for our planned giving. For planned giving. Um, Poverty relief doesn't have to get fancy. The Apostle Paul assures with food and covering Christians shall be content. We don't need a whole lot if we have nothing, right? And Jesus assures your Father will provide these food and covering for your body, so don't worry. Don't worry, he tells his saints, I will provide them for you, and uh, therefore providing basic essentials to our impoverished brothers and sisters uh, in Christ. It is a scriptural obligation of Christians, something we're obliged to do by Scripture. A brief caveat here. Paul also makes very clear in First Thessalonians chapter 4 that if anyone is unwilling to work, doesn't it doesn't describe someone who's... Unable to work or handicapped or something that will help them. But Paul says of anyone who is not willing to work, uh, those Christians who are unwilling to work, they, they shall not even eat. Someone who's not willing to work, uh, that's what Scripture says. They shall not eat. They need to get up in the morning and work like the rest of us. Sometimes that's the way that God provides food and covering. Is that you wake up in the morning and go to work, right? Uh, being a freeloader would actually rob precious resources from those Christians who can't work or don't have the ability to care for themselves. So we discern there is a huge chasm between people's needs and their wants. The entitlement mentality, it just pervades our culture but it should not discourage us from taking care of Christians who, who don't have basic human necessities. No, feeding widows is going to be our example in Acts chapter 6, giving them a daily ration of food. But uh, we remain keen to those who might cheat the charitable system. In fact, uh, if you might be tempted to take advantage of the generosity of the church, Acts chapter 5 This coming up in the next chapter is going to, going to put a little fear in you. You shall not lie to the Holy Spirit. We will see, um, there will be a great fear that comes across the whole church after the story of Ananias and Sapphira, uh, because lying to the Holy Spirit might get you carried out on a stretcher. So there's, with all this generosity, we see there's also discernment in giving, and people were afraid. In fact, I wouldn't doubt. We'll see when we get there. I wouldn't doubt there's some people. Man, I'll get in and get some action there. Maybe get a little free money. And they see Ananias and Sapphira carried out there like, Whoa, I'm good. I'm, I, I'm fine. I don't need the latest iPhone. I'm good. Thank you. Um, the early church was supplying essential needs. Essential needs, not wants. We won't pay your cable bill here. Because we will let Xfinity cut you off. We, we are that mean. Yeah, yeah. No. Um, our scriptural obligation is to provide basic human essentials to impoverished Christians who don't even have food or covering, uh, which makes our cable TV comparatively Unimportant. Folks, it is those suffering Christians who are important to Christ. Those who have nothing, absolutely nothing to care for themselves. Also, before we go to application here, as we discerned back in Acts chapter 2, verse 45, I'm not going to go through that completely again. We've been through this previously, just a couple chapters ago. The church wasn't practicing socialism. They weren't pooling, they weren't a commune who were pooling all their resources together so that everyone would become rich. Uh, No, these early Christians, they were also not complying with a demand from freeloaders who were unwilling to work, uh, to redistribute our wealth to them because they don't want to work. Uh, No, what it describes is Christians who recognize they have more than they need. And therefore they sold what they had deemed as excess in their lives so that they could share it with other Christians who had nothing in their lives. And uh, they weren't demanding a share of somebody else's wealth. But they were demanding in the spirit that I'm going to share with that other person's poverty. I want a part of their poverty because I have more than them. It wasn't about getting... This giving was not about getting more. None of the actions in our text are described as motivated by greed uh, or Christians, you know, scheming to find some way to attain more. What we see is spirit-generated generosity by Christians who realize they, they could live on less. I could live on less. Yet Acts is going to reveal later that Christians still maintained their private businesses. They still had their own homes. Uh, They held private property. But to the extent that each of them was willing to part with some of their wealth, they shared things in common. In fact, they treated all their possessions as if uh, they shared them in common, as belonging in common, uh, Actually, they were sharing them as if all their possessions belonged to Christ. That they're all his. And by this, folks, get this, by this, that church was experiencing abundant grace, we are told. Abundant grace. In verse 34, all who were owners of land should be lands, if that's correct English. Land, our lands, that means plural. Also, houses, again, plural, those who owned houses, uh, they would, recognizing that they have much more than they need, uh, they would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet. And they would be distributed to each as any had need. We know that the financial assistance described here remains very basic in scope it's because the the apostles who are going to become uh, overwhelmed with with the size of the church and and the number of people the exponential growth that is occurring in Jerusalem uh they're going to dedicate this ministry to seven men who distribute to widows a daily of ration a daily ration of food basic essentials. Uh, Their needs were very basic. And Peter's uh, exchange with Ananias is going to teach us uh, in just a couple weeks that uh, make it very clear that benevolence here was completely voluntary. Completely voluntary. He's going to tell him, Ananias, did this not remain yours? Wasn't any kind of seizure of any kind of property. Uh, uh, There is a distortion of this text. It is called liberation theology. You may have heard of it, which proclaims, you know, the Bible teaches we should make people do this. That that the Christian faith teaches, you know, forced compliance. We need to take it from people. And uh, you may remember... It's just a few years back, there was a prominent pastor in Chicago uh, who practices this theology. And uh, he essentially declared that until America redistributes everything, uh, God should not bless America. You know what he said about America? He said God should do something else to America. Not very pleasant. Publicly saying that until, until Christians demand that we do, Christians with quotes demand this, that God should condemn America. Folks, that is not even remotely Christian. They base that on this passage. You keep your house. You keep your property as long as you so desire. All right? But. what if there comes a point, as experienced by these Christians, that you no longer want it? Because we may be asking ourselves, you know, what would prompt such irrational behavior in Acts chapter 4? To divest oneself of possessions and properties, give all this money away, what? Why would anybody do anything so irrational? And the answer is because money follows ministry. The people in their spirits, they, they were shaken. They, they were impressed. They were, they were compelled by what they saw going on in that church. They'd witnessed evangelism. There were people coming to faith. They've been baptized. There have been thousands of them placing their faith in Christ at one time. They were hearing the word of God being preached boldly, where well, they saw great power and signs and miracles and wonders uh, being performed by the apostles as they were preaching that Christ had been resurrected. Well, think about that and how it might affect your giving. We saw 3,000 people come into this church in one day. Think about how you might get out your wallet. The Spirit was moving powerfully among this this early church in Jerusalem. The the Spirit had been poured out on them. Everybody wanted some of the action. So i got more than I need. I want in on that. The way we should be thinking is, I got too much. I want in on the gospel. And the Holy Spirit that dwelled in them prompted them to fulfill exactly what Jesus had predicted. And those poorer brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, they no longer had to worry. You know, what will we eat? What will we wear? What will we drink? In addition, the donors themselves, as they gave, having faith in this same command by Christ not to worry, uh, they could give freely too. Because they didn't have to worry about their, their estates dwindling because Jesus had given them the exact same promise. You don't need to worry. So people were giving and people were sharing as any would have need this is one of the reasons that Jesus said in basically the same breath. This is Luke chapter twelve. He says, "Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts that do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven, where no thief comes near, comes near, or moth destroys. For your, for where your treasure is, there your heart will also be." Just the command of Christ. Very simple, straightforward will of God, and we are to recognize that there still exist today Christians, beloved of God, belonging to Christ, indwelt by the same Spirit as we have, who are praying. What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? There are Christians today asking that God would fulfill this promise. Where our treasure is, there our hearts will be. I don't have time to go into it, but, uh, you know, tithing, it was never, never described in the Bible uh, as generous. It's not not how it was described. That 23 and a third percent, that's how much a tithe was, by the way. There are two required tithes each year and a third 10% required tithe every third year. So the average per year was 23 and a third percent in Israel. Um, That 23 and a third percent required each year by the Mosaic law, That was the bare minimum that each Israelite, uh, at least every landowning Israelite, was required by God to to give, to support the Levitical priesthood, to support the theocracy of the government that they had. Um, John MacArthur, he has a great sermon on this you should listen to. It's called God's Plan for Giving, Part 2. There is a Part 1, that's good too, If you only have time for one, he summarizes in part two everything he teaches in part one. God's plan for giving, part two. Each of us here needs to listen to that. I'll help you find it if you need. It explains that the New Testament standard for giving is not the law, but rather, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, each must do just as he has purposed in his own heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. What's in your heart? That's what Scripture asks. What's what's in your heart? We'll see uh, if you go back to the Old Testament and you look at uh, those like Boaz. Remember, Boaz was seen as a generous man because he gave above and beyond what the law required. Generosity never kicked in at the first 10% or 23%, 23 and a third, if you want to calculate correctly. Generosity kicked in beyond that. Beyond that. Um I'm not suggesting, we aren't supporting atheocracy. I'm not suggesting that you have to give that to be pleasing to God. Don't misunderstand me, okay? <laughs> Jeff Rogan, right there. I think there are many among us who are generous in our hearts. And uh, do you know what causes? It usually causes people to be generous in their heart that compels them to give um, from the heart. They do it because they like what they see. They like what they see. Uh, And their money follows the ministry that they see quite different than Pentecost. Um, I hope as you open your report after worship, as you read that, that you like what you see, okay? Um, It's only a small sampling of our ministries, but um, I pray you like what you see. Uh, We aren't apostles, we aren't performing miracles here today. I'm not calling Daniel up with his shattered ankle and laying a hand on him and immediately springing up. Uh, You just don't see that today. Uh, We don't do that. But among our various ministries, the gospel is preached boldly. God is spiritually raising the dead, and uh, we are striving to care for the poor. The poor, uh, and since that is our text, that is the focus of our text. That's where I'd like to focus the remainder of the time we have left today. The poor, the poor. You've probably concluded, as I have, that we don't see a whole lot of uh, Christians in America. I'm not saying there aren't any, but we don't see many Christians in America that that can't provide. Basic food and water and covering for themselves. Um, if there is, the elders here want to know about it, right? If there is, but we don't see a whole lot of that for basic essentials uh, for life. Um, but the question arises then. How do we seek to fulfill this spirit of Acts? Acts chapter 4 and verses 32 and 35, how do we fill that spirit? How do we follow through with what we see here? And the answer was revealed during our scripture reading in Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. Like us, much like us, the church that was in Corinth, it consisted of wealthy Christians. For the most part, very wealthy and uh, that was also true of the region known as Galatia. And therefore, in that closing exhortation to Corinth, Paul gave this instruction. He said, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do also you. It wasn't just Corinth. This was all churches. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save, as he may prosper, so that no collections be made when I come. When I arrive, he says, "Whoever you approve, uh, whomever you may approve, I will send them with the letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem." I'm talking Corinth to Jerusalem, the church in Jerusalem at this point in Paul, in for, by First Corinthians, it was uh, enduring severe persecution. It's also reported that there was a famine in the area at that time. There were probably Christians who could not work any longer because of the persecution, and they were suffering in Palestine. The church, this same Jerusalem church, had become poor. And likewise, we recognize we have brothers and sisters who lack food and covering, even though they might not be sitting next to us in the pew. What then becomes fascinating is how Paul's second epistle to the Corinthians it illustrates with great detail how this relief effort was undertaken by many churches as Paul devotes two entire chapters two entire chapters second Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9 to the urgent nature of this ministry to the saints It's Christian poverty relief. And in those chapters, Paul applauds the self-sacrificing churches in Macedonia, stating, quote, For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in support of the saints. Should I read that again? Referring to the churches in Macedonia at this point, he said, For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in support of the saints. You might notice that that is the Scripture Reference 2 Corinthians 8 verse 3 that is posted on our offering boxes by the back door. They gave as they were able, even beyond their ability. That is in recognition that we, we must prioritize when we give the collection for the saints. That we never forget that that is an essential ministry to every local church. A portion of our regular budgeted giving every week, on the first day of every week. Folks, that is a mighty work of God. That is the will of God. Paul describes such giving in the same same context. This gracious work, which has been administered by us for the glory of the Lord himself, and to show our readiness in the administration of this generous gift, it's for the glory of the Lord Himself. Second Corinthians eight nineteen. It is then in Second Corinthians chapter nine where we find references to this same initiative, giving to the poor Christians uh, the collection for the saints. Such statements as are followed as are follows. Quote, he who sows sparingly. Will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He scattered abroad. Foreign lands. Then Paul writes, he says, This ministry is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Because of the proof given by this ministry, they, referring to the poor Christians... Because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to the confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all. They're going to glorify God. They don't have to worry anymore. What are we going to eat? Or what are we going to wear? Or what are we going to drink? Paul concludes verse chapter 9 saying, Thanks be to God for, for His indescribable gift. As you receive a copy of our 2022 annual report, I urge you to read it. And afterward, read 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. And do so with this in mind, we have got important work that remains. It includes sending missionaries out into the field abroad and relieving the suffering of Christians abroad who are beloved by God just like us, just like us, and who are purchased with the price of blood. They belong to Christ. You've probably often heard these verses about giving faithfully on the first day of every week um demands to sow bountifully so that you can reap bountifully or giving cheerfully don't be uncheerful in your giving i uh, you might have heard those applied to you know things important things like doubling the pastor's salary right or, or building some grand new facility and Folks, Scripture says, give on the first day of the week. We've got to build a building that's more comfortable for our uh, behinds. Often applied to those types of things. Um, But Scripture doesn't apply these particular verses toward making life more comfortable for ourselves. It's not the intent of these passages at all. Correctly interpreted in context, these passages describe taking a Sunday collection, the first of every week, and giving it to others, especially to suffering Christians who don't have basic needs. After about three, well, it was about three years ago that we were able to pay off this facility by the grace of God and at that time, we doubled our missions budget to include a new initiative that we call Christian Poverty Relief. CPR. Easy to remember. Pretty smart, aren't we? Right now, we are half and half. Half of our missions budget goes to monthly support for sponsored missionaries overseas, and half is distributed to Benevolence. We have both emergency relief and relief for impoverished Christians included in in our mission's budget. And um, you can be confident of this. You and I can be confident of this together. Uh, No dollar that we send over to these initiatives, missionaries or for poor Christians, we will not regret one single dollar when we see Christ himself. We will never regret giving to these needs. They are His will. You might regret giving somebody some money and you meet them on the street corner later and they've got a fresh pack of smokes, right? Never regret giving to the Lord's elect, uh, those who are beloved and purchased by His blood. These, folks, are the initiatives that our church, our body, our membership needs to embrace and emphasize more missionaries and relieving Christian poverty uh, abroad. Uh, they are great ministries, absolutely great ministries, and uh, they are the will of God. And when the Holy Spirit moves, the money follows ministry. People like what they see what's going on, and they see from God's word why it's going on. They want to be part of it. They want to be part of it. We Christians in the West, we have so much excess. We really do. We want to give more. If you're like me, you want to give more. Um, and we want to be reassured. What are some worthy places to give it? Where can I give it where it makes the impact that God wants it to have? Um, we want to know that our giving will be pleasing to our Lord. Where should we give? Scripture tells us to the poor saints... It is God's will. Along the way, we'll take a collection for other things as well. Uh, that, that parking out front as, as we move forward, uh, I, I'm becoming more and more convinced that getting that up and, and going is, is, is more important than, than we originally even knew. I think it is a really great work to do the ministry, uh, the paving out front. It was very necessary to keep improving our facility. That is godly. Uh, in two weeks, three weeks, We are going to have the Youth Group Spaghetti Fundraiser that is coming up. Um, That is on a Saturday evening. Youth Group is an important ministry, really important ministry. I love these kids. I know you do as well. Our youth are fantastic. They are fantastic. And they're going to serve us dinner again. They're going to serve us dinner again this year and provide us with an opportunity to be generous to them. Uh, I'll be punching that. A ticket in the next couple of weeks uh, truly an important priority for our church and I'll tell you why as we get closer but let's not close our minds from dwelling upon the priority that God establishes in his word uh, and in our passage, but read one last exhortation from Paul that is found in another place this is Galatians chapter two this is this is in the context of Paul explaining the Jerusalem council. We'll get to that in Acts later on. Um, There was this big debate on whether uh, Gentiles had to become Jewish first by circumcision in order to be acceptable to the Lord. Uh, This big council they had in Jerusalem. And at the end, uh, they decide, no, we're all saved by the same faith. And... uh, They extended to Paul and Barnabas, what they call the right hand of fellowship, that Paul and Barnabas might go and reach the Gentiles, those people in Corinth and and Macedonia and Galatia. And uh, Paul and Barnabas were told by Peter and James and the church to maintain one priority. Do you remember what it was? Paul says, they only asked us to remember the poor. The very thing that I also was eager to do. You know, it eventually became those Gentile churches in another land who were the ones who came to the aid of those who were in Jerusalem when hard times came. The church said, go when... People for Christ and those same Gentiles in Corinth and Macedonia and Galatia. When it came time, they turned around and said, let's go help them too. Isn't that great? What a great work of God. Their money followed the ministry. Let's pray that would be said of us as well.